after you've touched anything, wash your hands. If a plate has touched meat, wash it. If your knife has cut vegetables, wash it. If you wash your hands, utensils, and counters every time you touch anything to do with the food, you will be pretty safe. It changes the surface of the meat, so it changes the appearance. Appearance really affects how people taste things. In my opinion, is if you have the time, wood is superior. And you wrap that around the fatty and then smoke it for a couple of hours. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 58. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Follow me on Facebook or Twitter or the other social media and subscribe to my YouTube page by clicking the buttons on my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts. While you are on the podcasts page, give me your email address and I'll send you a copy of my free e-cookbook, Foolproof Muffins, recipes that work every time. You can support the Culinary Libertarian Show by clicking on the Patreon, Bitcoin, or PayPal tabs, and give me a few pennies or a few dollars to help keep the podcast going. You can also support the show with a purchase of a coffee mug from my Cranky Without Coffee mug store. Just click the banner and that'll take you over to the store. I've got some sassy mugs and some silly mugs. And there's even a few movie quotes too. One of the best ways you can support the show is with a few clicks of the mouse on your favorite podcatcher. Just give the show a five-star rating and leave a review. Those kinds of interactions help more people find the show and listen. And that's how we grow the show. My guest today is David Farrell, and we're talking smoking meats. David, also known as the old fat guy, is a Canadian foodie, a food blogger, a community TV star, and the author of The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. He was a cook in his younger years and has started back into the culinary culture upon his retirement. David, thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, we were chatting just a minute ago talking about Canada, so just in case somebody hears uh, the almost classic aboot, they'll know why. <laughs> well, uh, no, actually, most Canadians don't say aboot. It's about, but that's a legend that's kind of been dispelled, I hope. Well, I, I don't know if it is or isn't, but that's okay. We, we won't hold your Canadianness against you because you've written a good book that we want to talk about. Well, I do say AA. <laughs> the beers. All right. So, well, you probably are old enough to remember the Saturday Night Live bit, Bob and Doug McKenzie, but uh, <laughs> yep, that's, uh, <laughs> that's for a whole age of people because they would. All right. Before we get talking about your book, and you did write a book, let's talk a little bit about your story. How did you come to write this book, and what is your food background? Well, I started cooking in the Navy a long, long time ago, uh, and I enjoyed it, and it was fun. When I left the Navy, I went to a formal uh, culinary institute and took some 
lessons and graduated that and then got out and got married and found out that cooking for a living was not necessarily the most financially rewarding living and left the industry. And I worked for about 45 years after that and then retired. But during the whole time, I kept cooking, of course. And on retiring, I just had more time to cook and more time to spend learning new skills. And that got me to the point where my wife bought me a smoker because I was spending too much time in her kitchen. And the rest is history. I just love smoking meat and doing other forms of cooking too, of course. Of course. And I've seen, I've seen your uh, pictures on, on the Twitter and so you cook a lot. <laughs> yes, there's the reason I'm uh, old and fat. Well, so that's a perfect segue into the title of your book. What is the name of your book? Uh, the book is The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. Excellent. And I've seen the book, and it, it, it is a really, the, the pictures are great. And I was quite impressed with how it's laid out. Well, I'm really afraid of the pictures because I took 99% of the pictures in the book, and that isn't my skill set. So I'm pleased to hear you say that. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. So what, aside from your wife maybe wanting to get you out of the house, what about smoked foods really grabbed you? Well, of course, as a foodie, anything that adds another layer of flavor is a major bonus for me. And smoke gives, if it's done right, just that little background flavor that isn't there in other forms of cooking. And then the fact that it takes a long time to cook things. You've got to plan in advance and you've got to set aside time and really commit to smoke because it can take up to a couple of days um and of course all the manufacturers the smokers tell you not to leave them unattended which means you got to hang around with the beer and keep hydrated for long periods of time which isn't a bad thing <laughs> no not a bad thing at all all right before we get into this i want to make sure we talk about one of the most important aspects of working in a kitchen particularly with something like a smoker or foods that are going to be smoked because as you mentioned they're going to be sitting out possibly for a long time. So let's mention uh, a few important words about sanitation. Well, I, I give quite a bit of my lessons in the book around food safety because it is critical with smoking. There's really just the basic rules that apply to other forms of smoking with a little bit more emphasis on keeping food stored appropriately. Just with other foods, you want to make sure you don't cross-contaminate anything. If you touch anything, raw meat, uh, fresh vegetables, anything, you should assume whatever touched it is now contaminated and wash it before it comes in contact with anything else. And that includes your hands. That's pretty standard for all kinds of cooking. But when you're smoking, you'll have meat at lower temperatures for a long period. And if you store meat at too warm a temperature and don't get it up to over about 120 or 130 degrees Fahrenheit, that is the, the real key area that bacteria forms. And so in smoking, you'll hear people say, leave it on the counter for an hour before you put it in the smoker. I've never agreed with that. Food should come out of the fridge and go into the smoker because you want to get it from the cold of the fridge, which inhibits bacteria, to the high temperatures, which kill bacteria, and you want it to go from the low to the high as quickly as possible. Anything over three hours is really too much, or you run the risk of the bacteria really getting hold during that period. And although the higher temperature will kill the bacteria, some bacteria form 
uh, poisons or toxins that stay in the meat even after they're killed. So when you're smoking, you should always be planning to have the meat well below about five or six degrees centigrade, or that'd be about 36, 37 degrees Fahrenheit, or over uh, 130 or 140 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 80 degrees centigrade. So if the meat's going to be in that center area, it shouldn't be any more than three hours. That's absolutely critical. Well, and it, the, the the point too is is also that just uh, washing hands. I think that that's probably easily overlooked. And when I was teaching culinary school, one of the the most boring class, but really an important class, was sanitation. Because you know, cooks they want to cook. They want to sit in chairs and talk about botulism and spores and who. It's it's important to know, but it's really boring. But hand washing is just such a critical component and such an easy one to manage to make sure that we're not making our guests or our family sick. Well, my advice is after you've touched anything, food, your nose, anything, wash your hands. If a plate has touched meat, wash it. If your knife has cut vegetables, wash it. If you wash your hands, utensils, and counters every time you touch anything to do with the food, you will be pretty safe. Well, safe is a good thing. We want that. We want you coming back for more. You do cover a wide range of foods from the classics uh, to the big guys, pork, chicken, and beef, but also turkey, which is going to be important for the American audience pretty soon. But I notice one category missing. There are no smoked desserts. Well, this particular book is for beginners. Okay. And the, the theory of this book wasn't really to be a cookbook per se. The idea was if somebody was looking to buy a smoker, or as I found much more common, they already own a smoker and just don't really know how to use it. It was to teach them to do the basics of smoking meat. So I take them through the four classics you mentioned of uh, ribs, pork, uh, brisket, and chicken, and then spread them out into some others. But it was just meant to teach them those basic techniques and give them some recipes to try out with it. Now, I will give myself a little plug here. I'm writing a second book, which is The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Pitmasters, that has desserts, how to make bacon, how to smoke cheese, how to make uh, home hams, all that kind of more complex stuff that you can do once you've learned the basics. Cool, because that was going to be one of my questions. Is there a follow-up that's going to include some of these other things? Absolutely. I've got many friends I've taught to make bacon, and they were quite upset I didn't put that in the first book, but I thought it was getting past beginners. I think that that's probably true. Bacon is, there's there's a multi, <laughs> there's a couple of extra things going on with bacon. Oh, definitely. You got to get the cures right in bacon or you can make people ill. Yeah, well, again, we don't want, we don't want that. <laughs> so I was reading through it, and I, re I did read that you yourself are not a fan of brines, but you do offer one for the turkey. And I admit I am a big, big fan of brines, particularly <laughs> for the turkey. Now, your explanation is fine, and yours is your explanation is strictly your own. And I'm going to speak for you in a minute and say that you don't prefer the texture of the finished, fully brined poultry. And that's a perfectly uh, legitimate reason. Well, I, I actually uh, do like brines uh, for some things. There's some pork dishes I think are much better brined. But poultry, personal taste, just personal taste. I think it's 
a little soft for my taste, but I was raised in the day when your mother cooked a turkey until the only thing left in it was no moisture whatsoever. <laughs> cook it till it's dead, then cook it some more. That's right. So I most likely have some of that baggage from my youth, and I just prefer the texture of an unbrined. That being said, most of my friends prefer brined, so if I'm having a bunch of company over for turkey dinner, I'll break down and brine it. You you talk a lot about rubs, and you give some recipes for some different rubs, but let's talk a minute. How are brines and rubs similar, and how are they different? Well, uh, a brine, first off, they both only soak into the meat about a quarter inch from the surface a day, and in that, they're similar. So if you think you're uh, brining something uh, to get the flavor all the way into the center of the meat in a few hours or overnight. That that just isn't happening. But if with a brine, because of the moisture on it, I find that if you do brine overnight and then take it out and cook it, it tends to get, in my opinion, more flavor and more changes to the condition of the meat after brining. Whereas what rubs do is they do give you some of that, but they don't affect the texture of the meat much if they're just a short rub or if they're put on just at the time of cooking, but they give a bark, a really great crust or surface on the layer of whatever it is you're cooking. Now that can be a hard bark if you're using a sugar that'll caramelize, or it can be a soft bark if it's herbs, but it changes the surface of the meat. So it changes the appearance and appearance really affects how people taste things. Yes, that's true. We eat with our eyes, so they say. I think that there's well, my stomach belies to that. Well, yeah, but there's the, the the point is that of course the food needs to look good, but there are, I, I could think of numerous examples of stews that are are not altogether aesthetically appealing, but boy howdy, they sure do taste good. <laughs> I I can't argue with you on that. So your book now, I, there are two main kinds of smoking. And the one you're talking about in your book is hot smoking, which means that the heat from the from from the fire, which isn't really a fire, uh, creating the smoke is is doing both the smoking and the cooking. Now, there's the thing. There's cold smoking, which is everyone's probably most familiar experience would be smoked salmon, which is kept at a very low temperature. It's much more challenging than hot smoking. Um, but that's not what you're talking about. So you're talking about hot smoke, which is going to take some sort of a fuel. And this question now is one about fuel. And I think that there's a whole book to be had here, which <laughs> is probably a lot more opinion than fact. But you're going to have a lot. You're going to have frequent and loud opinions about fuel sources. So in your opinion, which is better, proper charcoal or wood? In my opinion, is if you have the time, wood is superior uh, over charcoal, but in a very marginal way. Uh, if you talk to the old time smokers, they all call themselves stick burners because they light wood on fire, they let it burn down, and they use that as their source of heat and smoke, and there's no charcoal involved at all. But actually there is, because when they let the wood burn down, what they're doing is making charcoal which then smokes the meat. And if you buy lump charcoal, which is not charcoal that's been compressed into those fancy briquettes, it's actually wood that's just been pre-burnt down to charcoal. And I think you get a very similar result. Uh, both are good. 
both give a fine result and I wouldn't dissuade anybody from using either over the other. The main advantage of wood is total control. It's kind of a real status thing to be a stick burner and burn wood. The advantage of charcoal, it's easier and more consistent. I think wood requires a better fire making and managing skill than charcoal. Oh, it's definitely more difficult and does require some practice. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of people who are using what they call offset smokers now, which are mostly wood or charcoal burning, you can do either, do a combination. They'll uh, start a fire with charcoal and then put some splits on it, let it catch fire and burn down a bit. And the charcoal just gives them a more consistent heat. Uh, I know that charcoal can come from different varieties of wood, but I don't know that, say, a mesquite charcoal versus a hickory charcoal is going to have the flavor, whereas the actual wood would certainly have that flavor. Do you favor a flavor more than one, or do you find that different different meats sort of ask for different flavors? Well, first off, I've never found that charcoal gives much flavor at all. Almost everybody I know who smokes with charcoal uh, gets wood chunks or wood splits, which they put on top of the charcoal to give the wood flavor. Charcoal's pretty neutral in its smoke and doesn't, it's deliberately designed to not create a lot of smoke. So putting some dried raw wood on top of it gives you the smoke you need for the flavor. Now, what kind of wood you would use on the charcoal or in your stick burner is uh, which child do you like best? If you talk to my buddies in Texas, they all seem to like mesquite for steak and brisket and that kind of thing. And maybe some oak on a good day from some of them, but use anything else in sacrilege. But up here in Canada, I love maple on a lot of my beef dishes. And I, uh, use it quite a bit. Um, there's also competition blends, which give you a real neutral smoke. So it gives you a smoky flavor, but more hard to identify. Of course, hickory is the big well-known one for bacon and hams and pork going back into when smoking first started. But more and more now, people are going into apple woods and fruit woods for their bacon and hams because it's a lighter smoke. So Asking what kind of smoke you should use to cook something is like asking what kind of seasoning should you put on your steak or whatever. It, some people like Montreal steak spice. Other people just like salt and pepper. Ketchup. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Stop it. <laughs> oh, I, I just fell out of my chair. Don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I'm, burgers are fine. Burgers and ketchup is fine. Okay. Uh, I, I live in Oregon. And in Oregon and other states down below, cannabis is perfectly illegal. Now, that's not the point of the question, but it is to point out that you have mentioned something in your book called a fatty. Now, oh, yeah. I know that there are some people who are going to hear this and say, what? What do you say? No, 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 not that. But I'm surprised and a little bit dismayed that I'd never heard of this before. But looking at your pictures, I really want to try it. So if from a smoking standpoint, boy, this is just this tongue tripping all over the place. From a food smoking standpoint, what's a fatty? Well, uh, the original fatty was something called a breakfast fatty. And uh, 
people bought, uh, I'm trying to remember your brand name, uh, Jimmy Dean hmm. Chubbs of Sausage. And they would roll it into a square that is about oh, a half inch thick. And then they would spread all over it uh, normal breakfast omelet type stuff, scrambled eggs, uh, chopped up ham, uh, cheese, onions, whatever you would like on a uh, your normal omelet. Uh, cheese was a very common one, as I said. And then they'd roll it like a jelly roll. So you had now basically a meatloaf with uh, breakfast materials rolled into the center of it. And then the beautiful part of a fatty, the one that makes it a work of art, is they would make what they call a bacon weave. And that's where you take about 10 strips of bacon and you lay one strip down and then one under it, one over it, and you weave it to make a mat about 8 inches to 10 inches square of woven bacon. And you wrap that around the fatty and then smoke it for a couple of hours at low temperature to really get a smoke flavor on that bacon. So you now have breakfast sausage wrapped in bacon with an omelet wrapped up inside of it. And that's a breakfast fatty. So just, and it sounds fantastic and I really need to try this, but I want to make sure that uh, people can sort of visualize this bacon mat. So for the bakers out there, think about a lattice for a pie but instead of having any holes, it's all very tightly wound, woven together. Right, with strips of bacon. Right. Um, the it, the quick, quick way to describe doing it is to lay one strip down and then f- four or five, depending how wide they are, along it with one under the strip, one over, one under, one over, one under, one over. And then put a second, fold, them, fold half of the ones over, the ones that are on the bottom, lay another strip, fold them back, keep doing that until you've got that woven mat right like like basket weaving when you did in sixth grade when you didn't want to hear the science teacher talking about osmosis <laughs> well actually if you if you go to my blog i do have a, a pictures of it awesome well, we're going to get to that in just a minute we're going to get your uh, all the ways that people can find you david before i ask you about what cannot be smoked Let me tell the folks about a spices and rubs source for grilling and baking. Folks, Savory Spice is my spice blends go-to company. I'm fussy about my seasoning, and Savory Spice makes spice blends exactly as I would make them, with strong forward flavors and nice subtle background flavors for full, rich taste experience. Click over with my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash savoryspice, and learn how you can save $10 on your order, get a birthday gift, or shop the specials selection. And for you grillers and smokers, check out the impressive selection for barbecue. Savory Spice has gift sets from salt and pepper mills to spice kits such as Hog Heaven, or Low and Slow, Ultimate Pit Master Kit. You are going to find a gift for your pit boss at Savory Spice. CulinaryLibertarian.com slash Savory Spice. Now, let's get back to David and my questions. Uh, I am curious to hear your answer about this question. Is there anything which ought not, let me rephrase this, is there any food which ought not be smoked? Ah, so I'm running my head through it. Um, anything, 
that requires a crisping. Uh, I do smoke, for example, several potato dishes in my smoker, but it takes a long time to cook them, and they don't cook to the same texture. Now, you can pre-cook them and make casseroles and that sort of thing out of the smoker, and you can put your smoker to higher temperatures, but some smokers, like electric smokers, just won't go to higher temperatures, and they don't do a great job, I find, on potatoes. Um, you can do a lot of different bread dishes at lower temperature, but they don't get the nice browning. Again, if you're running a smoker that runs on charcoal or a pellet smoker that can go to higher temperatures, you can get around that. Uh, in your book, you do offer some suggestions for commercial smokers, and we're probably familiar with some of the brand names. But suppose there's the Grizzly Adams types who wants to make a smoker, or mm -hmm. the MacGyver type, from tinfoil, duct tape, and a box. How would you advise this person on what to do? I would have them start with what's called as the mini. It's a homemade project. And you go out and you buy yourself a, a tamale pot, a, a 30 liter, which is about 30 quarts or 22 quarts, something, 32 quarts or something like that. But it's a big, the big, large size tamale pot. And it comes with a metal uh, strainer that fits on a, uh, a dimple around the middle for holding tamales up off the bottom of the pot. If you buy one of those and cut the bottom out, and go and buy, if you were in college, like when I was, you, you could buy the uh, Weber Smoky Joe little portable charcoal smoker. And you, you buy one of those. And you take that pot you've cut the bottom out of, and you rest it on the bottom of the Smoky Joe. And the lid fits on the top. So now you can put charcoal in the bottom of the Smoky Joe with some wood chunks on it. And put some bolts in the top of the pot to hold the, the rack up and you put the lid on and you've got a smoker that you can control with the dampers. Huh. And it works like a heart, hot dam. If you don't want to do that and you're willing, want to just do a smoking of game or, or uh, fish or whatever, there's the old standard, which is an old fridge that you put a hot pad in with a frying pan that you put wood chips in and use that as a smoker. You got to make sure you get the airflow right. Might have to cut a few holes in it here and there because you want some airflow. But they work great for salmon and bacon and all those low and slow, really cold temperature smokes. It's funny you mentioned the fridge. And so this is a little bit of inside baseball for people who never worked in a restaurant. Um, I, w I worked for a, a certified master chef and we invented a cold smoker because we did crazy amounts of salmon uh, out of an old crust core, which is, crust core is like a, uh, it's just an aluminum box that holds about 30 full-size sheet pans and just it's a place to help organize your stuff if you're in a kitchen, but it also has a door that closes and it has vents. So we put a little hot, like a, just a little burner hot plate in the bottom and a cast iron pan and soaked wood chips and then kept a sheet pan of ice in there uh, and also a distance between the smoke and the heat and the food. And I mean, it was, it was outside, so that was good, but... <laughs> It's not the kind of thing you do at home, but for a commercial restaurant and you're doing 40 sides of smoked salmon, man, it worked like a dream. Well, if you want to do cold smoking for lox or bacon and that kind of thing, there's some great inventions out there now. One is a smoke tube, which is a tube that has a perforated, is perforated all the way through it. And you fill it with wood pellets and you light one end and it slowly smokes down, generating a lot of smoke and not a lot of heat. 
And I even know a guy who bought a big old ceramic pot for putting plants in. Uh-huh. And he put it on some bricks on the ground with the smoker underneath it. And the stuff he wanted to smoke on stands around it. And he made locks just with this smoke tube generating smoke. And if you do it on a cold day, you don't even have to worry about the salmon being out of the danger zone. And you can make all the salmon you want. You don't even have to own a smoker. Uh, another buddy I have, when he cold smokes cheese, uses a, a tray smoker, which is a, if you can picture a box with dividers in it to make an S maze. And you fill that with pellets or sawdust and light one end. And he puts it in his gas barbecue and puts mm. the cheese beside it. And it just generates smoke and very little heat. And he uses that to smoke his cheese. So cold smoking only needs some form of smoke generator and some kind of vessel to hold it. You can cold smoke in anything. You could use a cardboard box if you wanted to. Well, I'm. you've inspired me to think about uh, smoking some cheese this winter since uh-huh. the, the cold will be managed <laughs> very nicely <laughs> by outside. But I would uh, – we like cheese. We like cheese a whole bunch. And so I would, I'd be, now I'm going to have to try this. Well, if I could just give you a couple of quick points about smoking cheese is yes. less smoke is better than more. So start with just an hour or two and go up to find out how much more cheese you like. And once you've smoked it, wrap it and let it sit for at least two weeks before you eat it to give the flavor a chance to go into it or the surface can get a bit of an ashtray taste. Interesting. All right. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. Then this is even more inside baseball. Um, so, well, let me just fill the people in. So when you're doing, when you're doing cold smoking, one of the things you want to have happen is you, you do something to the food so that this is, sounds kind of silly, but it works. You want the smoke to stick to the food. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's called the pellicle. When you're, so it's, it's done with a, with a brine, you let it, you let it dry. And anyway, it's, 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 it's worth doing, but it's a whole other step. And we'll wait for David's second book to talk about that. When you're smoking cheese, are you trying to get any kind of a pellicle uh, idea to it or just put the cold cheese in the smoker and let it go? I just put the cold cheese in the smoker and let it go because okay. uh, there is uh, the, the cheese surface takes smoke very well, even without any kind of drying. However, um, when you say put the cold cheese in, there are smokers out there who say you should have the temperature for cold smoking cheese above uh, uh, about uh, 60 degrees Fahrenheit and below about 80 because they like to get a little bit of a shine on it from the heat. But that's really a matter of personal taste. I've, I smoke my cheese when it's, well, your temperatures be about 35 degrees outside, just above freezing. And I've put it out and smoked it. And it doesn't get that glisten, but it still gets the good smoke flavor. And again, it's inside stuff. Right. Potato, potato. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. <laughs> I'm going to let you know how it works out. Because I'm interested. This sounds good. And we have, uh, Oregon has got some pretty good little cheese fromagiers or whatever. My French is terrible. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, this is, this is inspiring. I'm, this is curious. All right. I'm going to shift gears here a little bit because this is, after all, the Culinary Libertarian Show. And I'm going to ask you a few questions, which is a short answer, but a lot of fun. Uh, of the five flavors, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami, which one do you enjoy the most? Umami. What's your favorite food? Pork. What's your least favorite food? Brussels sprouts. <laughs> uh, 
I like them quite a lot. <laughs> what gets you excited? Uh, a, a really finding a really good brisket. Hmm. What turns you off? People who are negative. What sound do you love? Gordon Lightfoot. Wow. What sound do you hate? Rap. <laughs> What's your favorite food indulgence? Cheesecake. Nice. And so pumpkin cheesecake soon for the fall, I assume. Oh, we've already had our Thanksgiving and I had that. This month's left of the year, David. Have it again. <laughs> uh, how can people find you or follow you online? Uh, I have, The easiest way is at my blog, which is oldfatguy.ca. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and geez, I'm on his disco at disco David nine or something that I got from years ago. But if you look up old fat guy, you'll find me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at old fat guy cooking. I'm on YouTube at old fat guy cooking is my channel. Uh, I am on Instagram, but don't do a lot there. So I'll just don't look for me too much there. Okay. Well, I will put the Twitter and the Facebook and the blog links on today's show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 58. And uh, also, I will put a link for the new book. And tell us again the name. The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners. Excellent. Well, David, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate that. And <laughs> nobody knows, but we, we had a couple of swings and a miss here. So <laughs> technology finally came to work. Well, I really appreciate you getting a hold of me and letting me do this, Dan. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Find the link to David's book, The Old Fat Guy's Guide to Smoking Meat for Beginners, on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 58, as well as the social media tabs on which you can follow David. If you've thought you want to learn a new language but didn't know where or how to start, my affiliate, Rocket Language has an incredible deal Effective today, October 28th through October 31, 2019. Take 60% off any course with code word HALLOWEEN, all caps, but act quickly. Rocket Language is offering the deal only until 11.59 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time or until 1,000 courses sell, whichever comes first. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash rocket, to see the list of languages. If you travel for business or pleasure or simply enjoy learning new things, Rocket Language can get you started on your next language journey for over half off the normal price. Head over to culinarylibertarian.com slash rocket or click the banner on the show notes page. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and leave a review and a rating. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Hey, folks, before you go, on the show notes page, I'm also going to have two links to smokers. One will be for a variety of smokers, uh, the offset kind and the barrel kind that uh, David mentions in his book, and that is an Amazon page. Uh, also, there's an Amazon page 
for that little cold smoker he was talking about that has the perforations and the sort of uh, tube thing. Well, they're there. <laughs> it's the coolest looking thing I've ever seen. And so there's a link to that too, because I really want to do that smoked cheese. And it also, you can do, uh, you can do like almonds or peanuts. And, um, I'm not really sure everything, but, uh, things that you normally wouldn't smoke that like, wow. What a great idea. So uh, there'll be links for both of those things also at culinarylibertarian.com slash 58. Bye. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.